Let's open with, with a word of prayer, if we could, please. Our Father, we do give praise to your name this morning for the great opportunity we have to come together as the Church of Jesus Christ. Our desire, Lord, is to give him praise and honor and worship that would be acceptable in your sight. So we ask that you guide everything that we say and do today in this place. May it be pleasing and honoring to you. And Lord, we need your wisdom to be able to understand the scriptures, so we pray that the Spirit would illumine our minds, give us the truth that comes only down from heaven. Lord, may we well understand, and may this uh, understanding affect the way that we live and think in coming days. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. This is week number 22 in our study of eschatology. Last week, we started chapter 37 of Ezekiel, which actually has three prophecies in it. And we started looking at the first one, which is the prophecy that comes out of the valley of dry bones. And we looked at the first 10 verses of this in which the, um, the vision itself, we did look at several other scripture passages and understand that this is a vision that Ezekiel had that God caused him to have, uh, where God takes him and puts him in the midi- middle of a valley that is full of human bones that are scattered everywhere. And God then tells him to prophesy to the bones. And uh, as he does so, um, the bones begin to align into proper skeletals. They apparently, the bones knew which other bones to connect to. And they all connect, and then <coughs> sinews begin to grow on them, <coughs> meaning you get ligaments and muscles and all that system that allows you to move your skeleton. And then it says that flesh grew on the bones, which the way I think of that, that would be all the internal organs and um, you know, the actual meat part of your body. And then on top of that grew skin. And so as Ezekiel prophesied, their great thunderous sound as all these bones move and align and these human bodies um, actually grow in front of him. So at the end of that, Ezekiel standing in the middle of a valley full of dead bodies. So no longer are there just bones scattered everywhere, there are human bodies um, scattered everywhere that are dead. They're laying on the ground. And so God um, then tells him to prophesy to the breath. And he does that, the breath of the four winds, meaning the four points of the compass. The winds blow, and they put breath into these bodies. And as they do, the bodies stand to their feet in front of Ezekiel. So now Ezekiel's in the middle of a valley full of standing people, and it's called a great army. And so um, we had that vision, we saw it, we walked through the details of it and left Ezekiel there in the middle of an exceedingly great army of people. And so um, now we get, in the next four verses, the explanation that God gives to Ezekiel about what what is this? What, What did I just see? I mean, it's clearly resurrection I mean no doubt about that you now have living people that came from dead bones and so it's obviously some type of resurrection but God gives an explanation of it and it's good to remember 
that all of this, both the vision and this explanation, are given by God to Ezekiel. This is God speaking. This isn't Ezekiel saying something. This isn't the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel as we've seen in other places. This is a vision that God gives that Ezekiel writes down and it's God speaking. So every word of this is God speaking. And it'll go on for the whole chapter that this is God speaking to Ezekiel um, about these three prophecies. So what does the valley of dry bones symbolize or show, because this isn't real, this is a vision, what does it show to Ezekiel? What is the explanation of it? And so God will give that in verses 11 through 14. So I'd like to just read through this this morning. I'm sure you read this this past week, right? Because we kind of left it hanging with no interpretation. So um, Ezekiel 37, beginning in verse 11. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope has perished. We are completely cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves, my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves and caused you to come up out of your graves, my people. I will put my spirit within you and you will come to life, and I will place you on your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and done it, declares the Lord. And you remember, um, this, I have spoken and done it, is um, God's emphasis that everything that he says to Ezekiel is going to be done. We, we saw this um, previously where God says, I have, yeah, in verse 36 of chapter 36, then the nations will know that are left round about you will know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruined places and planted that which was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken and will do it. So these are things that God is emphasizing that he is going to do in the nation of Israel. And it's, it's good to remember that. This is God saying, if I said it, I'm going to do it. And so the, that's the emphasis of what's going on here. So this isn't God just showing visions so that maybe we could understand an allegory and we could spiritualize things. These are things that God says he is going to do. And so I, I have to take that as graphic and literal that he is literally going to do these things. He isn't just trying to say, I'm, I'm going to give you a story about something that means something else. This is what God is actually going to do in the future because we have not seen this done in the past. There's no place you can point to in history where something like this happened. Where um, The only place where we know some graves were opened and people came back alive were at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Uh, when, uh, when that happened, a great earthquake, and graves were opened, and literally people came back to life, the scripture says. We don't know how long they lived, or you know, what happened to them, but we know that certain people did come back to life um, at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. 
And so um, that's the only other place other than people on their way to be buried or Lazarus, you know, a few people that Jesus Christ raised from the dead. Um, there's no other resurrections that we know of. They're spoken of often in Scripture, but they haven't happened yet. So we'll just take this verse by verse. Um, it's clear that the bones that Ezekiel first walked up on are human bones um, because human bodies are made from these bones. So these are skeletons that have been scattered everywhere and they represent the whole house of Israel. So that then becomes a question, right? What does the whole house of Israel mean? And so the question is, is this every person who was ever born an Israelite, is that what is being spoken of here? And I think it's clear that that is not the case because of what's said in the following verses. But the argument could be made that this is every Israelite who's ever been born. But and so I think God gets specific so we can know that it's not. Just like every person who winds up in Israel after the tribulation, beginning the millennial period, are not true believers and are not in the household of God. We saw that clearly, right? The leaders are put out. The fat sheep are put out. The ones who took advantage of the weak sheep and the lean sheep are put out and are not part of the kingdom. And so not every Israelite, even who lives through the tribulation and is hidden by God, and then taken to the land of Israel, all of those don't make it into the kingdom of God. There are some of those who are unbelievers and are put out. We saw God, he says, I'll, I'll judge one sheep against another, meaning some are good and some are not. And so here, I think when you talk about the whole house of Israel, I mean, clearly those who have just been put out who would have been Israelites are not in the kingdom. I think there are others who don't make it into the kingdom. That, um, I, I personally believe that all those who died in the desert, um, in the wilderness over the 39 years of wandering, aren't true believers. They didn't believe God, and they don't make it into the kingdom. The next generation, the million men who replace those million men, they're true believers, and they do what God says. And God speaks well of them. That's the guys who went into um, the land of Israel with Joshua, and there are many faithful men there. Um, I think most of those were true believers. Um, you can disagree with that. We could talk about that for a long time. We can't prove any of that, but I think there are many people who are born as Israelites who don't make it into the kingdom of God. Um, today, you see lots of people being born as what we would classify as Jewish, who would be the Israelites, who don't believe in God, who don't believe in the Messiah, who don't believe in the scriptures, um, they have no belief. And so those would be unbelievers. We see the, mass, the vast majority of Jews today don't believe in Jehovah God or in the coming Messiah or in what the scriptures say. Um, that the vast majority don't. And so today there's a remnant of Jews who do believe, uh, but not many. And so all those Israelites won't make it into the kingdom of God born in the church age. So I think the same thing is true from the Old Testament saints. So what is meant then by the whole house of Israel? 
um, because this army represents the whole house of Israel. So um, what is it speaking of? What does it address? And I think this is, um, represents all the Old Testament saints who did believe the Scriptures, who did believe God, who did believe in the coming Messiah, who placed their hope in the promises of God through the Scriptures. I think that's who we're talking about here. So we're talking about people like, I mean, we could begin to name them, right? There would be Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses who comes later and Aaron, his brother. Um, and then you could come down to mind, you got King David and you, King Solomon and then some kings um, like Josiah through the uh, division of the kingdom who were true believers. You come to um, some of the prophets you come to um, people like Jeremiah or Isaiah or uh, Daniel or the guys who went back and rebuilt the, the temple like um, Zerubbabel or Nehemiah who built the walls. All these are true believers who trust God. Even Ezekiel himself is one of those who believes God, who prophesies for God. Um, so and all the minor prophets, all those guys believed God. So those guys are included here. There are a lot of other names that we don't have who are included. But those we know are here. These people trusted God. They believed God. They placed their faith in God. And so um, they're the whole house of Israel. All these who ever believed. So this, this um, valley of dry bones represents the resurrection of all the Old Testament saints. That's what's being shown to Ezekiel. That, and, and I'll tell you, the next two prophecies is necessary for this resurrection to happen in order for the next two prophecies to be fulfilled. Because the very next one is the unification of the two nations, of Judah and Israel. Well, you can't have the unification of Israel and Judah if you don't have the people who were divided at that time, who believed in God. And so you can't have that if you don't have all these Old Testament saints who live through the division of the kingdom and live before it and after it. And so it's necessary for this resurrection of the Old Testament saints to happen in order for the next prophecies to be fulfilled. Yeah. Right, I mean, there, there are true believers before Israel is created. There aren't many. There aren't many. Remember at the ark, there were only, well, maybe eight, right? I mean, Noah and his three sons and their wives. That's it. Eight people make it through the, through the flood. So there aren't many people before the flood who believe in God. And there aren't a whole lot afterwards uh, until you get to Abraham who do. That, no, no doubt. That line is there. There aren't many, but there are some. I mean, Adam and Eve are here. Exactly. Adam and Eve are here. Right, 
Right, and one of their sons is here. You know, uh, so, but they're all not there. All the people who are born in, in here specifically in Israel are not the whole house of Israel. They all don't make it. It, it is an exceeding It's a lot of people. An exceedingly great army. Yeah, and he doesn't try and number them or any of that. Um, so, but there's a lot of them. But there's a lot who don't make it. So, um, just like today, there's a lot of people who, go to, who are in the churches who are not true believers. No, not much difference than Israel. You know, they acted religious. They carried on the ceremonies and all. But that doesn't mean they were true believers. And we see that in spades today. Now, one of the reasons I believe this chapter and trust that it's real and accurate, because if you go to Revelation, there is no resurrection of Old Testament saints anywhere in Revelation. It's not there. It is, it, it is silent on the resurrection of those who lived before Jesus Christ. Those who lived after Jesus Christ, who died in Christ, those are there in color. But the people who lived Old Testament before Jesus Christ was on the cross, silence. There is nothing said about them. The 144,000 Israelites who are in, who are in um, the book of Revelation, those are alive at the tribulation time. Those aren't people who came out of the Old Testament. So there, there is no mention in Revelation of Old Testament resurrection. It's not there. And the reason I think it's not there is because it's given here in Ezekiel. And if you don't study Ezekiel, you don't know that. And so you have this question, what happens to the Old Testament saints? Here it is. As clear as it could possibly be, We're, we're at the beginning of the millennial reign, right? God has taken the, the uh, true house of Israel who are alive, that he protected during the tribulation, and he's established them in the land. And he's um, given them a new heart. He's put his spirit within them. All that that we saw in chapter 36. He has saved them in the same way that New Testament saints are saved. Same exact way. And so he's done that for them. And now we're talking about the people who came before Jesus Christ. Even those who died while Jesus Christ was alive. Those are Old Testament saints. You realize Jesus Christ was an Old Testament prophet. So when you look at the prophecies that Jesus gives, you have to remember their Old Testament prophecies, even though they're in the New Testament. Right. Well, all these people who are in the house of Israel, the 12 apostles yeah. reign over them. I mean, that's what Jesus told them. You'll reign over them, right? And not only the, the 11 that we knew that were with Jesus all the time, but Matthias, who got in at the very end, is one of those 12 who's going to reign over Israel. It's amazing to think about. Paul is not... A, I mean, he's a true apostle without doubt, but he's not one of the twelve. So Paul doesn't reign over Israel. Yeah, I, I, he, will, um, he will be prestigious without doubt, but he will not reign. Maybe. 
maybe. That, then, then becomes a question, are we so busy we don't get to go to Israel but once a year to give homage to our king? We'll talk about that much, much later if the Lord tarries that long. So this is at the beginning of the Millennial Kingdom. And, and I think all really contemporaneous with God establishing um, the people who live through the tribulation. I mean, you, you have to write chapters, right? You can't write it all at one time. So he has it divided in chapters, but I think it all happens very quickly. This doesn't take a lot of time. This is all right at the beginning of the millennial reign. Um, Jesus Christ coming to reign over them, which, by the way, is the third prophecy in this chapter. These are people, yeah. In, these are, if you talk about that term, first resurrection, that Re only Revelation uses, this is not them. This is not, and we'll talk about that at the end today if we get that far, okay? Because this is not those people. Because the, the first resurrection of Revelation is very specific about who it's talking about. We'll get there, I hope. Lord wills. All right, and notice the complaint at the end of verse 11. Because it, it seems, you know, what is this? Um, our bones are dried up and our hope has perished. We are completely cut off. Now, who would be saying that? The people who Ezekiel's prophesying to. They're in Babylon. Their hope is gone. They're... We've been completely cut off from our land that was promised to us. We're not there. That's who's complaining. And so, as we've talked about, God gives this prophecy to Ezekiel so that he can speak it to the people who are in Babylon. Now, we have the great privilege that Ezekiel wrote it down, and we can read it. One of the needful reasons is so we'll know about Old Testament resurrection. If the Ezekiel wasn't in the canon, we would not know what happens to the Old Testament saints, because it's not given anywhere else except for Daniel, who only says that everybody's resurrected. Both those go, who go to eternal life and those who go to eternal condemnation. So even he doesn't talk about it in detail. So only this chapter talks about the resurrection of Israel. Okay, so it's important. Um, so this is the people of, in Babylon, who Ezekiel's prophesying to, who are making this complaint, because God then says, therefore prophesy and say. So these are the people who are listening to Ezekiel give this prophecy, who are making this complaint. And he says, thus says the Lord, behold, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves, my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. Now, this is clearly resurrection, right? God's going to go down and open graves. So wherever they ultimately buried the bones of um, Joseph, God's going to open that grave. And the grave of all of those who ever truly believed. That's what this vision represents. Is God opening the ancient graves of those Old Testament saints who died and calling them to live again. So that's who he's talking about here. I mean, he makes it very clear. Behold, I'll come down and open your graves, my people. I'll bring you into the land of Israel. Now, again, this is why I think it's important that this is God speaking. 
Because he says, I'm going to resurrect you out of your graves, wherever you are. Doesn't matter where you died and were buried. I'm going to open your graves and I'm going to bring you to your land. This is God speaking. Not anybody interpreting, not anybody saying anything. It can only mean one thing. And that could be the land that God originally promised to the patriarchs. And he says, I'm going to resurrect you and that's where I'm going to take you to. Now, if God can resurrect them, he can certainly take them to Israel, right? Then you don't have to wonder about how he can. You remember, <laughs> we, we, we never really, I rarely recognize this. Jesus is in the boat with the 12 apostles. Okay, and they have been terrified. They're terrified because he speaks to the wind and it stops and all of that, right? And then it says immediately, they're in port. And they're in the middle of the sea when that happens. And it says immediately, they're in port. God transported them there. He can do whatever he well pleases. And he picked them up, all 13 of them in the boat, and put them at the shore. And we miss that. You talking about a miracle? That's a miracle. And we. Yep. Right. Just immediately moved. So God can do whatever He well pleases, and we read those things in the Scripture, and we just miss them. I mean, it's just so common. So I mean, God transported those guys. Otherwise, they would have never been there before the people who were walking around the edge of the sea got there. That's the only way they could do it. And so they, God did it and put them there. We, we just, and that's what he's saying here. I'm going to resurrect you and put you in the land. So these people will come to life and they, they're in the land of Israel. And the reason, I mean, so is the land important? Is the land not important? That's been where we've kind of focused our attention this is God speaking. This is not Ezekiel. And if God brings up the land, then it's got to be important. And he's already said, I'm jealous. He's already called it my land, that I'm jealous for it. And, you know, it's important to him that these people are actually in the land of Israel. Now, there's another passage I want to turn to for a second. We've done it before. Um, to look at resurrection and Old Testament resurrection. What does it look like? It's in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 2, I believe. We can read 1 and 2. And this is the glimpse of resurrection that God gives to Daniel. And I want to show you something specific here. Daniel 12, 1. Now at the time, now at that time, and that time refers to here chapter 11, which is a time of great tumult. At that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise. And there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued. What does that sound like, that verse? Is that not New Testament prophecy? I mean, it's a time of great tumult, like there's never been since there's ever been a nation. 
That's tribulation. And then at the end of that is judgment based on everybody's name who's written in the book. That's the great white throne judgment. So this sounds like New Testament prophecy, and it matches New Testament prophecy. But then you get another statement by Daniel. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Done. That's the resurrection. He doesn't say anything else about it. And so you have resurrection in Daniel of everybody, of those who go to everlasting contempt and those who go to everlasting life. So every single person who's ever lived will be resurrected for a judgment. Da Daniel sees it all in one moment. Revelation expands that and shows us there's a thousand years between the resurrection of believers and the resurrection of those who don't believe. Okay, you never actually see the resurrection of those who don't believe. They just are before the great white throne. God doesn't talk about resurrection, but in order to be there, they have to be resurrected. Okay, so why, why go there and show you this? I just want to show you that this matches what is in Ezekiel. Ezekiel says that every true believer will be resurrected. Everybody will be resurrected. And so Ezekiel gives more detail that those in, in the house of Israel will be resurrected at the beginning of the millennial reign. Daniel didn't see that. Daniel doesn't know that. Daniel just sees that everybody's going to be resurrected. Now, Daniel and Ezekiel, contemporaries of one another. Whether they read each other's books or not, don't know. But we know that Daniel read some of the Old Testament prophecies because he's in the scriptures when he realizes it's going to be 70 years of captivity. And it's the 70th year. So it's time to go home. But Daniel doesn't see the detail that Ezekiel does. But what Daniel says doesn't negate what Ezekiel says. Right. In Daniel, even in Daniel 11, from 29 to 35, he's walking right through what's literally happening. And then in verse 36, in a very, in a very sense, he goes to the tribulation. Yeah. All the way out to the Antichrist. Right. Which is yet to come. So he, literally, the period that we're in right now, Daniel, and, this is all one big and, and if we ever get to Daniel, <laughs> and we get to all the way to. And we get all the way to chapter 11. Um, there are some very key terms in that chapter that you know causes it to move from the time of um, that Daniel's, Daniel's prophesying about a time that's near to come, which is Artaxerxes and, and all that he does and Antiochus and all that he does. But then he transitions right in the middle of that, that this is analogous to what happens during the Great Tribulation. And m m many people who study Daniel miss it 
and they misapply what Dan, the last half of Daniel 11. But we'll look at it in detail because to me it is crystal clear that um, he makes a transition. But a lot of people just... Daniel understood some of it, but not all of it. Right. Yeah, he didn't realize he's talking about sometime distant in the future. Right. Well, this is why the argument is made that Daniel was not written in 600 B.C. It was written in 200 B.C. after the history had already happened. Right, not true. Not true. God does make a, over 100 prophecies in chapter 11 of Daniel that are perfectly fulfilled 400 years later. And so they have to dismantle that by saying that the book was written by an imposter in the 200s. And I'll tell you, the vast majority of scholars, that's what they believe. They do not believe it was written in the 600s. Yeah. But Daniel gives so many time frame references in the first six chapters that there's no mistake that it was written in the 600s. But well, that's for another discussion. Getting off track. Got to get to the end. Okay, verse 13. Then you will know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves and caused you to come up out of your graves, my people. Now, if you've been dead for 4,000 years and all of a sudden you're alive and you're in the land of Israel, you're going to recognize something very significant has happened, right? <laughs> now these are in human bodies. These are, these are skeletons with flesh and skin and breath. and So these are human bodies. These are not bodies like um, New Testament saints will possess at this time. These are human bodies. And so they can feel, they can cut themselves, they can bleed, they can, you know, all the... Yes. Yes, I believe. Um, I believe during the millennial reign that life goes on as normal. That people are born, people die, you have the cycle of life, all of that. What happens when they die? So, scriptures are silent. Doesn't say. Doesn't say a word about it. So I... Correct. New Testament saints get a glorified body when they're raptured. So the sequence of events is important. We're going to talk about that at the very end, maybe. I was just going to give you a thumbnail sketch of the resurrections as I see them at the end. I don't know if we'll get there because you people talk too much. <laughs> okay. So verse 13 um, and this is God's purpose in all of this. Why? So they will know that I am the Lord. I am sovereign over my creation. I can do whatever I well please, and I'll do what I've spoken in this chapter. And the people will know it. That's God's purpose in all of this, is so that the whole world will know it. And don't think if God resurrects multiple millions of people in a valley somewhere or takes them into the land of Israel, that the whole world won't know about it. They will. The whole world will recognize this. 
Okay, so verse 14. And this is the wonderful part of this. And I'll put my spirit within you. That's New Testament salvation. I'll put my spirit within you and you will come to life and I will place you on your own land, says it a second time. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and done it, declares the Lord. This is like, I've spoken it, I will do it. And so the whole world will know about it. That's God's purpose. That's what he's going to do. He's able. He has the might. He has the right. He will do exactly what he says here he will do. And he's not giving you any allegory. He's not giving you any imagery. He's <laughs> given Daniel a vision that perfectly portrays what God is literally going to do. That's the way I see this. I don't see any reason to take it any other way. I mean, he's talking to people, saying, this is what I'm going to do. Why, I mean, yeah, people allegorize this, spiritualize it, and I don't see any reason to do that. Now, the question comes, okay, why does this come here in the sequence of what Daniel has written about? Well, you remember the last promise of chapter 36, right? The last two verses of chapter 36? Thus says the Lord God, this also I'll let, let the house of Israel ask me to do for them. I'll increase their men like a flock, like a flock for sacrifices, like the flock at Jerusalem during her appointed feast. So will the waste cities be filled with flocks of men. Then they will know that I am the Lord. Maybe this is the way that he fills the cities with people is that he resurrects all the Old Testament saints in the same place that those who live through the tribulation are. And so all of a sudden, you've got this mass increase of population by resurrection. So how many is that? I don't know, but it's a bunch. And so they're in the same land as these people who've lived through the tribulation, all of them in human bodies, all of them enjoying the millennial reign of Jesus Christ in the land of Israel. He said it twice, I'll bring you into your land. So there's no doubt about that. And all of a sudden, so you've got mass population increase and the whole world will recognize it. Right. You're talking about during the tribulation. Oh, absolutely. Right, and most of those people who are killed in Israel during the tribulation, and you realize that over half of the world's population is killed during the tribulation. So you're talking about, you know, three, four billion people, billion people killed during the tribulation time. But all, most of those, the bat, I, I think probably all, I could say, of those killed in the land of Israel are unbelievers. Because those who are true believers are hidden in the desert by God for three and a half years during the tribulation, during the last half of the tribulation. So those who live in Israel are unbelievers, and are prob probably all of them die. I don't see any reason to believe that they don't based on the prophecies that are given. Now, I do not believe that every unbeliever on the planet is killed. 
There's some who do believe that. I don't believe that. And I also don't believe, not sure about, are all the true believers killed. I don't, I don't see that in Scripture. Now, some people say every single believer is killed during the tribulation. How do you, what do you stand on? It's just your opinion, because it's not in Scripture that that happens. It's not there. It also is not there when he says, I'm going to slaughter all the armies that are gathered against them. That doesn't mean every person. Because women and children and older people don't go to war. And so the armies aren't everybody. They're just the armies. There's a lot of them, but there's just the army. So all the other people don't get slaughtered in the valley of Megiddo. At least that's my view of it. I could be wrong, but Scripture doesn't say that everybody dies. It simply doesn't. Okay, now, um, I'm going to do this real quick, and then maybe I'll do it at the beginning next time also. What is the order of the resurrections, and how does this fit into what is given in the New Testament Scriptures? And I'm just going to roll through this, and then because it's, we're out of time, but I want you to hear it so that you can think about it. And it'll be online so you can hear it again. Um, and then maybe we'll talk about it in a little more detail next time. So Scripture is clear that Christ is, resur- is the first resurrection. It says he is the first fruits. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, that Christ is the first fruits. Uh, those who have placed faith in Christ during the church age, since Jesus Christ died on the cross and was resurrected and taken to heaven. Those people, all of them, who place faith in Christ and die are resurrected at the rapture. Okay? The rapture, I believe, you can make an argument a bunch of different ways, but um, there's pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, and post-tribulation belief in rapture, but not unbelief in rapture. It's just a matter of when it happens. All of those who've died in Christ and all of those who are alive and believe in Christ are raptured to heaven. Those who died before those who are alive, but all going up in the rapture. When it happens is inconsequential at this point. They're all taken to heaven changed in the twinkling of an eye, giving a, given a new body, which is an eternal body. Do you think necessarily that those have to be the ones from the church age? Yes, because it says those who died in Christ. So I believe that means you died by placing faith in, after placing faith in Jesus Christ. You knew his name, you knew who he was, you placed faith in him. Okay, so that's who I believe is raptured not Old Testament saints. Okay, so then you go, and we could give several references to that. Um, Then you go to those who have placed faith in Christ during the tribulation time, but are killed. Those are the ones spoken of in Revelation chapter 20 who are resurrected and reign with Christ. The raptured saints reigning with Christ is given in chapter 5 of Revelation. But in chapter 20, it's very explicit that those who did not take the mark of the beast or worship the image are who are resurrected in chapter 20. And that's, okay, and so those who place faith during the tribulation 
and are killed or resurrected. And then you've got the statement that you referred to a little while ago, this is the first resurrection. Look at Revelation chapter 20 and verse... You always do this. Um, I'll find it in just a second. No, it's later in the... Using a different Bible than I study in always messes me up. Um, yeah, that's that's Yeah, you you were right. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were resurrected. Notice in verse four that these are the ones who had not worshipped the beast or his image. So that's during the tribulation. So these are people who died during the tribulation. The rest of the dead don't come to, year until, come to life until a thousand years were completed. That's people who didn't believe in Jesus Christ. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and, and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Those are tribulation believers. And there are scores of people who believe in Jesus Christ during the tribulation. Just think about if you're in the church and you've heard it all your life and all of a sudden all those people are gone and you see Revelation beginning to be played out. Are you going to believe? Probably. Probably. And then you've got the angels in the mid-heaven saying, worship God. That's how the the gospel is taken to all the nations. We, I believe in evangelism. I believe we should have world evangelism. I believe that we should go to all the peoples that we can go to, but God is the one who fulfills that prophecy that everybody will hear. He does it with the angel in the midheaven. We'll talk about that later one day, way down the road. So, and then, contemporaneously with that, you have the resurrection we just read about of the Old Testament saints in the land of Israel. This is happening all over the world. This happens only in Israel. So here, at the beginning of the millennial reign, you've got every, every believer who has ever lived alive during the reign of Jesus Christ. The Old Testament saints from Ezekiel 37, the tribulation saints from Revelation 20, the church, everybody who lived up to that time, raptured to heaven. Whether wherever it happens in time, every true believer is now alive and in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. If the, if the rapture happens pre-tribulation, like I believe it does, and I think I've got a good reason for that. I'll tell you my good reason for that. It's not given in Revelation 20. If it's not given in Revelation 20, when, are the, when does the rapture happen? Why wouldn't he say that here it is? Because if it happens after the tribulation, wouldn't he give it in Revelation 20 when everybody else is resurrected? I would think so, but he doesn't. Because I believe it happens before the tribulation. That's probably the strongest reason I have for believing 
in pre-trib rapture because it's not given in Revelation 20. Okay, but if it is pre-trib, then at that moment when the rapture happens, there are no true believers on the planet. None. Every single one that has ever lived and placed faith in Christ and that lives at the time of the, of the rapture are gone. There are no true believers on the planet. Now, I think some will really quickly believe in Jesus Christ. But there are none, at least for a few moments. That's a weird place. That's a... Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I'm going to write the book. I doubt it. But, I mean, that's the way I see all of the resurrections of those who place faith in Jesus Christ and their sequence of how they happen based on what the scripture says. Not based on my opinion or I think this, but based on what is written on the pages. There's no other place to go to, to get it right. I'm not saying I'm right. I'm saying this is the way I understand scripture and you're going to have to have a really good argument to cause me to change what I think because it rises from the pages of Scripture. Right. Right. This is going to happen. Right. I mean, God says it too many times. I have spoken. This is what I will do. I mean, he's going to go, how much clearer could I make it? (laughs) I mean, this is not an allegory. This is not some spiritual talk. This is concrete reality. Right. So um, that's the way I see it. We'll talk about it a little more at the beginning next time, just so we can, if you, if you want to think about this, we can. Thanks for your time.